Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode from the archives, Pastor Andrew explores the nature of pastoral care and how we can share our burdens with Jesus. I want to pick up from where we talked about autonomy. We noted two key issues. One, that God has made you and I unique persons and distinct persons ourselves. Something is not always clear to us, but as we commit our lives to Christ and through him to following God, God enables us to learn of ourselves and the treasure that he's put within us. Secondly, that there are things within our own being that hinder both that discovery and expression of that treasure. And that, as we noted, is sin within. So we are called to deal with sin, to put it in its right place. The root of sin has been cut in our lives and we now need to implement a righteousness that comes to us from Jesus. So out of that, I want to pick up the thought that we're also meant to be in relationships. That the autonomy we have is not to keep it for ourselves, but to contribute to the groups and the organisations that we are a part of in our daily life and live for God and through him minister to the needs of others. I want to start with what I call the Marfa syndrome and then move a little bit more into how we apply caring for others and boosting their lives and encouraging them. So you'll find the two biblical passages for this is first in Luke 10, verse 38 to 42, where Jesus is welcomed at the home of Martha, Mary and Lazarus. And Jesus becomes good friends with these three people and their lives are interrelated. The second one comes out of John chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, which is about the anointing of Jesus' feet. So they're back in that visit that Jesus had at Martha's house. Jesus is basically teaching his disciples, and there is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and just eating it up, just loving every minute of it, just so open to hearing from God. But Martha was in a totally different place. She was a servant. She was in the kitchen. She was getting dinner ready. And she's irritated because preparing a good lunch for the master is the main thing. It's what they should be doing. But here's Mary sitting there not assisting. The story says to us when we look at the Greek words involved that Martha was distracted with serving. She was over-occupied with domestic chores to such an extent that it was drawing away attention from Jesus and what he was doing. Her activities were being done in such a way as to draw attention to her activity. 
Now, when that attention was not forthcoming, she interrupts Jesus and forces his attention upon what she is doing. She criticizes his lack of attention to her needs, highlights her martyrdom, and tells him to command his sister to help. Jesus identifies in her that her serving was motivated by anxiety, not love, and that this has caused a high degree of inefficiency and disorder in her activities. Jesus goes on to tell Martha that there's only one thing that is really necessary. Jesus here highlighting the good portion that Mary has chosen as the only needful thing in our lives. The implication for Martha is that she should cease her activities, cease her anxious toil and domestic cares and have the one really thing that matters. Mary has chosen the good portion which here is exemplified in her sitting at the feet of Jesus, literally for her, but metaphorically for us, and listening to his teaching and enjoying his presence. This must not be taken away from her by Martha or anyone else. Now, when we come to the anointing of Jesus, John notes that again we find Martha serving. And there are people who have that gift, who love to serve, and Martha is one of those. This time she was serving at the home of Simon the leper. It is Mary who is identified as the woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume or anointing oil. Once again, Mary's actions are criticised, this time by the apostles, who thought that the money would have been better spent on the poor. Once again, service is proposed as tantamount and the more noble option than adoration and worship of our Lord. Jesus rebukes the apostles and profoundly questions their motivation, their motivation and our motivation for service. He said, the poor you always have with you, but you don't always have me. The dangers we face in service for others relates firstly to our motivations and secondly to our worship of God. No matter what service we may be called to, we are primarily called to sit at the feet of our Lord and spend time learning from him, enjoying his presence and giving him adoration, praise and worship. Too many of the servants of God have been distracted with serving, thinking that they're honouring God only to find out that their relationship with him has disintegrated. 
We are not suggesting, as it might seem, that we all dump serving and totally spend our time learning and worshipping. What we are suggesting is that our time spent in the presence of God, learning from him and worshipping and adoring him, equips us for service in a way that no earthly program could ever do. Real ministry originates from the presence of Jesus, is sustained by that presence, and is made most effective by that presence. So having given Mary and Martha motivations and story to you, I want to go back and just talk about what I call pastoral care. Now, I'm not talking about professional priests or counsellors. I'm talking about each and every one of the people of God caring for someone who is lost, who's afraid, who doesn't understand, and seems to be so anxious for almost anything. You know, there are people who are anxious for almost everything. But what I want to touch on here is what you and I need to do to be able to be building, strengthening, contributing to the unity of the communities of which we're part, their work and their vision, to be supportive in such a way that we help others grow rather than simply put them down. So let me unpack a little bit about what I think pastoral care is about. Now, pastoral care is most effective when it is a spontaneous response to the needs of those around us. You can't have somebody come and say, oh, I've got a problem, I've got a problem, and get your rule book out to see what you should do about that. you just got to respond. And it's spontaneous because these things don't give warning. You might see it coming, but a lot of the times they don't. And so you've got to be able to respond to that. The spontaneity of our response is enhanced and developed through training and learning. Too often we tend to skate through by the seat of our pants in situations where we had simply invested the time sufficiently in training and learning, we could have had a more beneficial and inspiring outcome. Our ability to care for someone else increases when we understand that we need to continually learn and grow ourselves. The most powerful motivating force in our life is to acknowledge that there are things that we just do not know and then set out to find the answers. The book of Proverbs calls this the seeking of wisdom and understanding. In Proverbs 2 verse 2 it says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for insight, 
and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find knowledge of our God. This is what I think pastoral care is. It's nurturing others in the Christian faith. Not having your own homespun ideas, but understanding the word of God and the wisdom that comes from it and being able to share that with them. It's helping others blossom in their lives and fulfill their greatest potential. Remember that treasure? Helping others find the treasure allowing that treasure to rise to the surface and be used. Showing some light in darkness and direction through the confusion. Enhance when we grow and become strong in our faith. It's a word in season, the right word given at the right time. And that can only be spontaneous. You can't organise the right time, the right place. It's walking beside others in their walk with God. It's opening up to others the beauty of the Christian faith and the strength and power of God. It's directing others to Jesus, who is our good shepherd. You don't have to wear others' problems. You don't have to carry them. Let him carry them. But you contribute by putting yourself in a place to share and to care. And to get them to put that load on the shoulders of Jesus himself. Because he went to the cross so we don't carry those loads. Remember he said, come to me all overburdened. And I'll give you rest. To put on my yoke, which is light and easy. So if you're wearing your Christianity as a load that's wearing you down, you need to get that load off you and back to Jesus and put his load upon yourself. It means building up the body of Christ. There's that autonomy again. We have to get into the relationships within the body of Christ of which we're a part. We have to go out of our way at times to build that body and to strengthen it when others walk away or others become weak. It's helping the people of God grow in love for one another. It's giving ourselves to others in love and care for them. The principles of faith that we desire to share must be grounded in the scriptures. That is, these principles need to be thought through in the light of God's word. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, or scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Romans 15, verse 1, he again says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses 
of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbour for his good, to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures. However, Bible bashing really has any beneficial effect and only tends to give people headaches. To effectively teach the faith to others, our faith needs to be earthed. That is, it has to work in real life. When the faith we teach is one that is earthed in our own experience of God and his love, then it comes across to others with a greater sense of authenticity. The faith we teach must be a living word, not a dead letter. The word must live in us that we might be broken bread to our community. There is nothing like the taste of fresh bread just out of the oven to whet our appetites. What we have to give must be as fresh and tasty as that. And all that we do must be done to the Lord. That is, that real knowledge and real understanding comes from our relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 1 says these things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Saying that we've lived with for many decades is this. The best measure of a church is how many people walk out to be the royal priesthood on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. The basic product of the church is people in ministry. That's you and me. Let us pray. Father, we find it tough sometimes to know what to say and how to say it to the people around us, especially if they're in crisis. Lord, equip us further that we might touch their hearts, we might bring your blessing to them, and we might raise them with you so that they know your eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.